Listener Production. commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. For this episode, I'm in Canberra, the capital of Australia, but I'm not here to see the Prime Minister. You'd argue it's actually someone way better. I'm at the workshop of Neil Bates Motorsport to finally interview the four-time Australian Rally Champion. Actually, it's five if you count the classic title. Like our last step with drag racing legend Jim Reed, this one is also way overdue. And because of Neil's achievements over more than 40 years in the game, we have made it a three-parter for you. I've set up the recorder and mics in his office, surrounded by trophies and cool pics and memorabilia from all sorts of places around the world. The Bathurst Podium to the unique roads of West Australia and the iconic World Rally Championship event there, plus Salikas and Corollas sliding beautifully into those picture frames, even though they were on the limit in that moment. Downstairs, the very loyal members of his team are hard at work, from servicing everyday rides to prepping their Yaris rally cars for sons Harry and Lewis for their Australian Championship campaigns. What they have built here in the ACT is truly world class. That word loyalty extends beyond the crew. Coral Taylor has kindly helped me with a bit of intel for this chat. The driver-co-driver relationship they have is one of the longest partnerships in Aussie sport. And we can't forget Toyota here either. From winning a competition with them as a young bloke to circuit racing and a lifelong rally connection that makes one of the world's biggest manufacturers like family to Neil and vice versa. In the workshop, they also prep some rally cars for customers and some of the first new generation 86 race cars are having the finishing touches applied. The attention to detail here makes these 86s both cool and cost effective. That is a great series. Looking at them, I just want to drive one again. Over time, Neil has kindly taken me for rides in his WRC Corolla back in the day and let me run an 86 in a rally sprint in Sydney. We spent several years working together on the Network 10 ARC TV coverage during a golden period for the sport. He was behind the wheel at the time, but I'm proud of the rapport that we have and there is plenty for us to talk about. His wife Jane has kindly brought us coffee, so let's get into it. From humble beginnings and a household that truly loved cars and motorsport. Mate, welcome. This is long and uh, and way overdue. In peeling all this back, where did the love of motor racing come from for you? Uh, look, I think for me, you know, I grew up in a family that my father and actually my mother both did hill climbs and um, the local drags and stuff. So I had an interest in motorsport and, and uh, that, you know, for sure Dad had an interest in it and used to work on some people's cars and used to compete and whatever. But my first understanding of this is what I want to do was uh, 
uh, when the Castrol Rally was on in 1980 and it was a whole lot of tarmac stages around the suburbs. and Of Canberra you know, here, yeah. Of Canberra, my father, he wasn't particularly interested in rallying but because there was tarmac and he, he was interested in that and Colin Bond was running and, you know, Ari Barton and Greg Carr, but, you know, he went Mega. out and took us out to watch probably Colin Bond, you know, because yep. that was Dad's hero, I suppose, and... um you know, I went out there and saw Ari Vartan and then I still have that video in my head and, you know, my old man was going, oh, he's a bloody idiot, he's too sideways, he's too this. And, <laughs> but I just thought he looked unreal and yep. that was exciting. Take us back a little bit. I mean, you rattled off some impressive local names and international names. What Ari would have been in probably a Ford Escort back then. What was he, what was he running? Uh, yeah, he was in a BDA Escort and yep. Bondi was in the factory Ford and... Um, Greg Carr, Carr obviously, yeah. and yeah, then you know, there was Hugh Bell, um, in a Datsun 1600, and yeah, you know, the, everyone of the who, who of rallying back then, you know, I didn't know anything about rallying then, didn't know any of those people. I, I obviously, I know all that now, but I just saw this thing that was this sport that was just amazingly spectacular, and you know, uh, and that's you know, that from that day on, that's all I wanted to do, and we a subject at school called careers and they asked me what I wanted to do and I said, a rally driver, and I was sent to the principal's office. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, luckily I was able to go back to, to the school and do a talk a few years ago Later, about yeah. uh, following your dreams and, and doing what you want to do and um, probably like most people that you talk to, I wasn't particularly an academic at all and, you know, so the, I, I was told that people like you We'll never get a job and happy to say I probably never got a real job, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with you, that. You've made a, a great um, uh, life here, which, we, which we'll get to. Just in, in summing up a few things about family life to begin with. Firstly, I think your dad's in his 80s now and he's still doing some hill climbs. Is that right? Is he often doing yeah, that? Yeah, I think from- he probably did his last hill climb probably three or four years ago. Okay. And I think he got second outright in a, Crazy. In a clubman in his, yep. you know, I think he was in his late 70s at the time so he he still for sure has a you know an interest in in uh in motor racing for sure and yep. you know I, I on a recent trip when I was driving to Perth a few weeks ago I listened to a lot of these podcasts and one thing that sort of stood out was all this father and son stuff and you know whilst my old man was incredibly good he used to take us out the the suburbs uh of Canberra when because for those that don't know Years ago, they built entire suburbs, and I mean, you know, 10 or so suburbs of roads with no houses. houses so, yeah. so Dad used to take us out there and teach us to drive, and we had our own little racetrack that we would roar around and, you know, time ourselves and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, when it came to rallying, he didn't really have an interest in that. So, mm. you know, from from uh, when I started rallying when I was 18, I was on my own, and own. that was it. Tell me a little bit more, just just firstly, um, you know, kind of a humble family life, I guess you could say, um, proud parents, obviously, all the boys, I mean, your twin brother, Rick, uh, Nicholas, who we see at motor racing events, you've, you've all made a life around cars or motorsport in some way, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that's um, obviously, as I say, we were brought up around it, I suppose, mm. at a, at a uh, entry level, yep. um, but, uh, you know, we all went on to... You know, it's it's funny because I won the Star Search competition in in 1989. That's how I got involved with Toyota. But then in 1990, they Alan Grice ran the Peter Jackson Search for a Champion, and Rick actually won that. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, there was you know two Some parallels, two, but different. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two search for champions over two years, and Noel Bates, you know, one one by uh, twin brothers. Fantastic. Well, the second name Bates, so yeah. We're in your office here. There's all sorts of unreal memorabilia from trophies to photos of magic moments and so on. Immediately over your shoulder is something that catches my eye, and it's a Datsun 1600. So what was the first kind of rally car? How did you get it? How did you stitch the deal together to to buy it and, and run it? Uh, so with uh, rallying, a mate of mine actually had a rally car, and he was doing rallies, and and I went out testing with him once and loved it because I still had this video of Ari Barton in my head and also I thought that I could maybe do it better. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, and he was doing well and he was a good driver, but, you know, I suppose if you don't think you can do it better, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Mm. And, and uh, so I went and bought a Datsun 1600 that cost me $800. I still remember where I bought it in Red Hill and and then uh, drove it home and, and then uh, that was my pride and joy and and that's what I did my first rally in the the um greater chapter of your life is is Toyota right so we'll just delve a little bit here on the Datsun thing for a second because cutting laps learning car control around those empty streets that you were talking about a moment ago there was a 1600 ute or something what were you in was it a Datsun ute uh, it was a Datsun 1500 ute, ute and, yeah. and uh uh Nicholas, my younger brother, Rick, and myself all learned to drive in that ute. So actually, I could probably take you over and show you <laughs> because we're actually restoring it for Dad. Fantastic. Um, which uh, is another story, but it's been a bit of a long project and should have been finished by now. It was actually meant to be for his 80th birthday, birthday. and that's uh, gone and passed and it's still happening. But, uh, but yeah, that's a car that you know, to other people means nothing. To us, it means a lot. A lot, yeah. You're attached to it. You win your first rally, am I right? But but you did have trouble getting regular co-drivers. Is this is this true? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I won. I borrowed Rick's co-driver for my first rally, and I won that rally by I can't remember. It was either six and a half or six and three quarter minutes because it was Holy. quarter minute timing back then. Yeah. And um, so yeah, and when I think about that rally, I had a few problems like the throttle jammed on so then I did a couple of stages driving it on the key and was still getting fastest time so unbelievable I, by uh coming down the corners and switching it off and to, and then switching it back on to to uh or, or if I was too late on the brakes just uh push the clutch in and let it hemorrhage and, and then <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah I did I did win my first rally by a lot and you know I I think for whatever reason you, you talk about car control, you know, and, and we look at motor racing these days and I see it in the 86 series and that, you know, to me the essence of motor racing is car control, control. Mm. because, you know, the, the idea is to push it to the absolute limit without going over it. If you have that con- car control to back yourself up, you're more confident to push it to the, to the limit mm. and drive at the limit without fear of it losing control because mm. you – you understand that if it goes over the limit, you're going to you're going to sort it out. And yeah. if you have a look at you know, Shane Van Gisbergen, he's a classic example of that. Mm. So, from a a progression sort of standpoint here, um, in order to to make this work, I gather you were driving trucks at night. You bought your first business at age nineteen. I mean, you didn't have much of a social life. You were just all in on this mission, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Uh, 
I'm not religious, so I can't call it a mission from God. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I all I wanted to do was, you know, and I, it's funny because people say, oh, yeah, you started off, you know, you were just doing rallying for fun or whatever, but I always had in the back of my head that that's what I wanted to do for yeah. a living. Mm. You know, for me, there was something deeper that was burning that that's what I wanted to do. You know, because I, I looked at the George Furies and I looked at the Greg Cars and Jeff Portman, you know, people like Jeff, that, yeah. And yeah. they were, you know, getting paid to be rally drivers. That's what I wanted to do. So so I did an apprenticeship as a mechanic, which I I think when I started I was getting $78 a week and $78 a week wasn't going to get you that many rallies. So, yeah. so I then drove a truck at night because my old man had trucks all his life and mm-hmm. – and um, to what like like after midnight or something? How how? What? So I used to start at six at night, and it was uh, at Ready Mix Quarry here in Canberra, and it was uh, they used to crush the metal into different sizes, and then it would be need to be stockpiled around the quarry. Mm-hmm. So I used to park under the bins, open the bin, fill the truck up, go and drop it. If it was five eight or three quarter or whatever, go and drop it in the various stockpiles, and I used to do that from six at night until two in the morning. And then start at what time again the next morning? Well, <laughs> supposedly start at eight, but I, I was notorious for not being able to get up in the morning. So so the guys that I worked with, they used to swing by on the first test drive or whatever in the morning and actually physically wake me up yep. because I lived on my own then because my parents split up around the time that mm. I started work and then – Dad got a girlfriend and so I was the only person living in the house. Wow. So I lived in the family home but mm. I was it. Mm. So, um, yeah, getting up wasn't one of my strengths, still isn't. <laughs> so the focus of this I think is just um, amazing, mate, the fact that, you know, these memories of an Ari Vartan had, had inspired you and that was all you kind of really wanted to do. Is it fair to say that there was a, a – a pretty significant turning point here in sort of mid-80s, 86, I want to say, Alpine Rally. You are against the likes of Greg Carr, who you mentioned before. Um, you were Carr 56, 56 or, or the 56, yep. and you end up leading. And am I right in saying, because it was all manual timing and things but like that back then, they didn't. They thought there was a problem. They didn't believe that you could be leading the event is that is that correct is that what happened yeah you know i'd i'd uh competed in state rounds and there was a state round i think two weeks before the alpine Mm -hmm. and i said to myself if i so i entered the alpine i said if i win the state round i'll go go to the alpine Mm -hmm. and i won the state round by quite a large margin and then um, alpine is famous too i mean i mean a legendary rally rally great roads and things isn't it so yeah yeah. so that was an arc round that Mm -hmm. you know as i say i was doing act rallies initially and then and then new south some new south Wales state rounds and then you know that was in the rumor that kind of thing yep yep and then i thought if i win the state round you know every i think at the time everyone was telling me i should go and do the alpine so I did enter and then I won the state round, so I thought I'll go and do the Alpine. I was car 56, which I was pretty unhappy about that because I I thought that I should have been... Seated higher kind of seated thing. Seated yeah. a lot mm. higher than mm. that and someone that I was competing with in state rounds and, and beating or, you know, running with was Greg Brown. And mm-hmm. I think from memory he was like car 14 or something. Oh, wow. So I was pretty peeved with that and... Um, 
So then um, my co-driver at the time, Dave Jorgensen, we did the first stage and and I said, you know, have a look at Peter Clark. Peter Clark was someone from Canberra who was running the ARC in a stanza at the time, really good guy and he used to help me a lot and um, sell me second-hand tyres cheap and give me second-hand tyres and... and um, so I said, I'll have a look at Clarkie's time and we beat him by God knows how much. And then I said, I'll have a look at someone else's time. And then I said, oh, what about George Fury's? And if my memory serves me correct, he looked at George Fury's and we were 12 seconds faster. Unbelievable. And I thought at the time, is he on the wrong minute or what's going on here? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then um, so we did the second stage and third stage and the same thing. And then there was a, a refuel and... You know, the guy in car 55 said to me, oh, how are you going? And I said, oh, I think we might be leading. And then um, and then you could see the look on his face and he went back to his crew and there was a, raw, a raucous of laughter as he's told them. Your story. That dickhead behind thinks he's leading, and but they didn't believe that. And then we got to the end of the first division and there were some results there and we were leading. Fantastic. The story has a little, uh, a little twist in it because um, – what was it? Was something to do with a maybe a distributor part? You had a problem with the car, didn't you? And you would ultimately lose minutes because of that. And had you not been given maybe a derived time, if I'm right, you'll you'll need to join the dots here for me. It was either a win or a top three or something like that, wasn't it? For sure. So we started the last day in second, which mm-hmm. was um, and George Fury was leading. We were second, and um, we'd had a whole lot of problems at night. The car cutting out and not running properly and all that sort of stuff. So we dropped back behind George Fury mm-hmm. and then... Um, so the distributor know, shaft, what was going yeah, on? Yeah, so, so we didn't know at the time. We just mm-hmm. And then we you know, had a look at it the next morning. But the funny part about you talk about getting up late, we <laughs> went down to the service park on Sunday morning. Every other car was out of park for me except for mine, which was sitting on the oval because we'd sort of slept in a little bit. <laughs> had we got up early, maybe we would have found the distributor shaft. But So then we... Um, were in the first stage next morning going along, came around the corner at the spectator point, went up the hill a little bit and the car stopped. So we go, oh, well, we're out. And and so then um, go down to the spectator point and start spectating. And then um, I hear the car fire up. So there were some spectators there who went up, basically diagnosed it, which was the distributor shaft bearing was it. worn and so the points weren't opening. So then they fixed it and I go, oh, yeah, but we've lost too much time. And they well, said... They did it, borrowed a part of someone's car they, or something, did they? <laughs> they had a Datsun 180B there, took the distributor out of that, Way put it go. in my car, away we go. And so then they said, and I said, no, but we've lost too much time. They go, no, 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 there's maximums, which I'd never heard of. Hmm. So the maximum for that stage was eight minutes. So then we continued on in the rally and in the end we ended up fourth in the rally George Fury actually got excluded. David Officer won the rally and we ended up fourth, seven minutes, 36 behind David Officer after dropping an eight-minute maximum. Legendary names that you've just rattled off there. I think if people go hunting on YouTube, you've got to do a little bit of searching to find it. You can find pictures or or maybe grainy vision of, uh, is it a long-haired Neil Bates back then? Well, what did you look like? Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I suppose um, good clothes and whatever went uh, went part of my uh, my winning rally <laughs> thing. So, so I my uh, rally uniform back then was a pair of King G's, 
tied up with a bit of wire because anyone that used to wear King G's back then, the buttons always broke, so I used to get a bit of welding wire and <laughs> tie them up there. And then, um, yeah, I had frizzy long hair and my nickname was Grub, so that probably tells the story. Crazy, crazy. So you do a mechanical apprenticeship, you buy your first business at 19. What, what we're in now, uh, all these years later, is something to absolutely behold, but that was the beginnings in many ways, wasn't it, mate? And you still have, as a part of this business here, something that is dedicated to to sort of servicing and maintenance of, of road cars and things, don't you? Yeah, the, look, uh, I had uh, a mate, uh, Peter Dimmick and myself, we bought a business called Beetle Exchange mm-hmm. and then Rick uh, came into that with us as well. So there was three of us in it and that was um, a... V-Dub. Yeah. V-Dub business, buying and selling used cars, also working on them and also uh, wrecking them, you know, buying wrecks and gotcha. stripping them and selling the parts. So, you know, it was an incredibly good business and and we had just finished apprenticeships at the time for the for the three of us and it was our uh, foray into the business world. And, look, it was an incredibly good business and, and um, you know, we, we made some pretty good money out of it and... And my motor racing became more and more and I was away more and more, you know, and they were carrying me mm-hmm. a lot. And, and to their credit, there was never any animosity with any of that. But when it came time for me to go out and start my own motorsport business, because I was, even when I first started with Toyota, that's where I was doing it out of because, you know, that was our business. But in the end, I actually gave them my share because they'd carried me for wow. for so long for me to get and then I started up my own business. business. Somewhere here, we'll go back to your point about Star Search. Paint that picture for people. Um, this is pre-internet. What are we what are we talking? Was it a thing in the newspaper, 25 words or less? Or ha- how did the entry work and what was the the offering for this competition? Look, uh, they what they did is they picked people from all forms of motorsport. Like mm-hmm. there was uh, Michael Dowson who ended up doing Bathurst who was a legendary motorcycle, motorcycle racer, racer mm. who had raced in, you know, all over the world. Mm. And, you know, there's some amazing stories with him because when I, when we, you know, we finally got picked and went to Bathurst, I was a young guy mm. doing as I was told and Michael Dowson had raced all around the world and he was saying, don't you listen to them, you. There's a photo of him over our shoulder here, which I want to get to, so yeah. Bathurst, yeah, yeah. So they picked people who from various forms of motorsports. So mm-hmm. there was a circuit racer, a motocross rider, a, a, um, a Michael Bailey, was it, a boat racer? Could have been, okay. Yeah. Um, so there's a pool of you. There yeah. was a pool of people yeah. and what we did is went and did some some um, practice races to get our licences. Um, I'm pretty sure I already had my – I'd already got my circuit racing licence um, – uh, but I'm not sure. I think I've had maybe one or two signatures or whatever left to get off my bees. Okay. And then so we went and did various races in MR2s and then we got around to the Australian Touring Car Championship in a Corolla and then they picked out two people from that to go to Bathurst and that ended up being Michael Dowson and myself. Amazing. So tell me about this picture over my shoulder here. So for people that are listening, Gary Wilkinson, legendary uh, Channel 7 um, announcer and ran the podium for many years at the mountain is in between the pair of you there 
that's a pretty special moment. He's a he's a good mate of our our buddy Daryl Beatty's as well. What what was he like to work with? And that was a special day for you guys, wasn't it? Ah, uh, yeah. As in Michael Dowson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was incredible to work with. Um, it was a class win for you guys too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we actually went to Bathurst. We won our class. And um, what you in a Corolla Sprinter? What was we it? We were in a Corolla front wheel drive Corolla. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd done my uh, round at Winton, mm-hmm. um, and probably. I don't know if it was fortunate for me. I think I was probably fine whether it was wet or dry, but it rained, poured rain at Winton, so I went incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Michael Dowson did his round, I'm pretty sure, at Lakeside from memory, and he did very well there. So we ended up at Bathurst and, and, you know, and he he was uh, very quick. We, you know, we both drove very well and were good and, you know, but they gave us, you know, at the, 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 we had a, team meeting and briefing beforehand and they and and it was interesting because the star search competition all originated out of sydney mm-hmm. the race team was run out of toyota in melbourne mm-hmm. so there was probably a little bit of you know sydney versus melbourne from that perspective yep. internally in the team because they had the pr people in sydney telling them they're going to get these two mm-hmm. two uh geese in as in uh <laughs> michael dowson and myself and so uh, they said that we were to drive around and do our job and finish as a PR thing and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, you know, and I'm probably at the time, you know, I'm young, naive, I'm probably accepting, yeah, that's what they want us to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and so when we walked out there, Michael Dowson said, everything they told you in there, ignore. He said, we're here to win. Awesome. And, and you know, we're going to mm. drive around, you know, flat out and... Yeah and see if we can win this. And I'm thinking, Jesus, that's not what they told us to do. But, you know, and so Michael Dowson started the race Mm -hmm. and he went exactly as he said, hell for leather. Mm -hmm. And I think he might have, because in the other car was John Faulkner and Peter McKay. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll know both of them. Yeah, and, you know, uh, incredibly great people. And and, um, John Faulkner was incredibly good to me throughout that whole star searching and teaching me. I think he got annoyed with how many questions I asked, but he was uh, always obliging and helpful. So Michael Dowson came in, and I can't remember whether we were just behind or where we were leading, and so the whole time he's out there going around faster than what they wanted him to, they're coming over to me, don't you do what he's doing, he's going to break the car, he's not doing as he's told, he's this, he's that, and I'm sort of going, yeah. That's quite a lot of pressure for a young guy. It's quite a lot of pressure for mm. a young guy. So mm. I'm thinking, geez, what do I do here? So then I hop in the car, Dowson straps me in. He gets in the door. I don't care what they am I allowed to swear on you? Of course you are, of course you are. I don't care what they fucking told you. You just get out there and hold this thing flat. So he knew they, they, they so were. So he in knew yeah. as I say, he'd raced all over the world. Mm. He was a professional motorbike racer. Mm. He he yeah. knew he mm. knew what was going on. And when I look now he was exactly right and so then he straps me in and I'm thinking far out and as we I go to go he pulls my radio lead out so they can't they can't so, talk so to you so they can't <laughs> talk to me so I'm going up pit row I remember my left leg because those things you had to slip the clutch a lot the first gear was so tall, tall yeah. to take off in them you really had to it's slip slightly the uphill in the slightly pit uphill pit at Bathurst yeah, yeah. So I'm going up there. I remember my left leg shaking and so then I just went out there and just drove and, you know, um, and then I remember 
Peter McKay was out there. I remember passing them and pulling away, and you know, like, and and apparently they were holding out pit boards to say slow down and various other things, and and yeah, we just blasted away, and and you know, and I ended up driving the last stint, and uh, but I had a radio at this stage because mm-hmm. on the last stint they because we were a lap ahead then, but that and then they wanted a formation finish uh-huh. and. So the other car, and I remember, like, Dowson had obviously really got to me because I remember, like, waiting for John Faulkner, but I was so scared to be waiting. I just let him catch, you know, like, he was behind me coming down to the last corner, but I'm keeping him, like, three car lengths behind, and then I just backed off. For the shot, for the For the shot, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't really close enough and they were a bit unhappy or that, but... But I, I, you know, they told me he was a lap behind. But at that stage, after what Dowson mm, had been through, you. I wasn't having any of that. No. So I was uh, at that stage. I was, I was uh, with Dowson, and we were going to win. Very cool guy to have in your corner. Guy with great character too. Um, at about this point, so you've had success in the search for a champion. There's this scenario at Bathurst. It looks like the direction is going more touring car, if anything. And I think there was an offer a full-time offer to go touring car racing and and it, it sort of faltered or went away or something and it, it all of a sudden you're in this scenario where you've you've won the search for a champion and 12 months on it looks like it might come to naught almost, doesn't it? Yeah, so, you know, it was interesting because uh, I also in 1986, uh, the year that I did incredibly well in the Alpine, uh, it was the day that Brock swapped over from the Commodores to the BMWs, and he actually invited a whole lot of young people down to have a drive. Did you drive one? And I drove the Commodore at Calder. Fantastic. So um, I think there was 18 of us, and I still remember it so clearly. A few things. One, Dave Johnson, my navigator, which we'll get to at some stage, Mm. he was was the first person that probably told me you need to promote yourself, you need to do this. So he'd written to all the touring car teams and told told them about about me and all this sort of stuff and so he was a huge amazing help and then um so I got invited down to that drive and you know Brock was there I at the time had one of those two 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 piece fast man driving suits (laughs) I had a I borrowed my helmet off Rick because he's looked better than mine for the day because I thought I should look better which was a lime green helmet with an orange peak open face and I remember getting there and there's all these guys there all circuit racing people there in Simpson driving suits Hollywood. and <laughs> you know they look like Hollywood and and it was so amazing because Brock took me around and all because he took you for a lap first uh-huh. and so um what are you in here you're in like like, like VL, v, v, VL, VL or VK, or VK with, yeah, anyway yeah. mobile mobile yeah, back, mobile yeah. mobile backing yeah. and and it's at Calder so I remember when he went around, you know, the kink in the back straight, he held a flat through, which was, and he did it re- relatively easy. But he was saying to me all the way, he was, you know, you tell he was quite nervous because I was a rally person, not a circuit racing person. And unbeknownst to him, I'd done a lot of hill climbs. I'd done mm. a lot of tarmac stuff. So I I knew both pretty well. And, um, you know, so, so we're there and all these people are pointing at me because who's this Goose Guy. in the open, yeah. face helmet, doesn't even dress properly. And But I remember Bev Brock 
just really took me under a wing because she's the nurturing type and yes. here you've got the ugly duckling over there and she's sort of going, this poor kid. And um, How did the day go? So then it was, it was interesting because I, you know, I had done an apprenticeship. I worked on all my own cars. You know. So the thing had a flat battery for uh-huh. a start. So they would tell you, you know, because I went fairly late. I thought, I think they thought I'd get the circuit races out before the rally guy binned it on them. So, um, so I watched these guys and they stall it. Then they'd have to go up with a jump pack and, you know, they'd, some of them stall it five times getting out of the pits. And then I'm watching and in the kink up the back straight, no one's holding it flat. And, you know, so I'm just sort of watching all this stuff. And then it's my turn to hop in. And then, um, so then I go out, didn't stall it because I made sure of that. And, you know, I don't think I held a flat th- on the back straight that on the close. first lap, but on the second lap I definitely did. And then I came in and I just remember hopping out and Bev Brock just, like I walked around, she just hugged me and said that was amazing and that was great Fantastic. and whatever. And then they actually kept me back afterwards to drive. So everyone else went home. Yeah. And then they kept me back afterwards and I did another 20 laps or whatever. Mm. And and I still remember when they said, you know, I'm going around and they said, yeah, that's enough, come in. So I went down the bottom corner of um, a calder there on my cool down lap and just hung a big slide all the way around. <laughs> and then I came in and Brock was laughing. He goes, I wondered when that would happen. You can't. <laughs> He said, uh, yeah, you can take him away from rallying, but you can't Can't get the the rallying out of him. And, yeah, there was a lot of laughter. And, yeah, and it's amazing because I always had such an incredibly good relationship with Brock after that. Mm. Like whenever I was at the circuit racing event doing Bathurst or whatever, he always come and talk to me and see how I was going and if there was anything that I wanted to know and all that. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and then later in life when, you know, he did Targa, he came and, got notes off Coral and I and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, there was there was something very that I special. suppose I very special and that I cherish. Oh, I'm glad you shared that. That's a great, great story. Come back to, to the importance of, of um, co-drivers and you talked about how significant um, one of them was there a moment ago. Actually, I think we got we got sidetracked there. We were, were talking about um, signing me up to be a touring car driver. driver which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually... Todd has spoke to me and were, were going to send me a contract and everything. To, so who, um, who was that that was going to be? The, could you say the team that you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Toyota, Toyota, or, Toyota oh, Team Australia. Okay, cool, so cool. that was in the Corollas. The team was run by Tony Nevani out of uh, Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And um, so they were uh, going to sign me up to be one of the touring car drivers, which was going to be with John Faulkner. But then um, but then they uh, the team folded and... That was that. Crazy. We'll come to co-drivers in a second because where you've brought us to now is almost this sliding doors moment, I think, because had that happened and, you know, the touring car thing been fine, it might have taken you a totally different direction in your career. You're thinking this is potentially all over or I'm going to be going back to doing hard yards myself again potentially. And then Mike Breen, who was, you know, a – very significant figure, um, very passionate about motorsport within the Toyota framework. He's he's retired from there now. But what does he do? He picks up the phone and says, from what I can gather, um, we've got this cool new car coming, a Celica. We're thinking about doing some rallying and we would 
like you involved? Is that how it went? What yeah. happened? Uh, yeah, the, the initial one, when I got the call about the Star Search competition, Mike Breen was the one that rang me and he said, hi, it's Mike. Oh, I'm at Beatle Exchange, you know, <laughs> crawled out from under a Volkswagen to answer the phone and he goes, it's Beatle, it's Mike Breen from Tide Australia. He went up running this Star Search competition and we'd like you to be part of it. And, you know, at the moment I don't, back then crazy calls were, uh, you know, everywhere and rife in, in this country and I thought it was a crazy call. I was almost about to say, yeah. And, and, you know, so that call happened and then I'm thinking, you know, what was that? Was that a crazy call? So I'm Mm. going. And then there was months that I heard nothing. So I just had forgotten about it and thought it was a crazy call. Then he rang up, you know, a couple of months later and said, oh, we want you to do a practice round at Oran Park this weekend in MR2. Can you get down there? Amazing. Yeah. So uh, he he would ultimately help in in um, steering you. This is why I, I used the sliding doors analogy before, in a direction that you really loved. Anyway, it's not that you didn't enjoy the touring car racing or the success you enjoyed at Bathurst there and so on. They're very special moments, but the pure love beneath it all was still rallying, and this was going to start. Yes. An amazing so, chapter with them, wasn't it? So, uh, yeah, the, you know, the, the touring car thing all fell in a hole and then they he rang and said, we're bringing these cars into the country, the Sleeker ST185s. Apparently they rally them overseas. Would you be interested in rallying one of those? So it took me about a nanosecond to, 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 think uh, about it. to think about that one and answer it. And, you know, when, when you're here and listening to this, you think, oh, yeah, that's great you know he's been rung by a manufacturer and they've got these factory rally cars and blah 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 but you know and this is the thing that's uh so amazing about this journey is mike was an amazing guy you know who was the pr manager at toyota for 30 something years who i dealt with for most of human being just a great Mm. great guy to deal with you could have ring up and have family chats you know like Mm. just an amazing person but their idea of going rallying was here's a car and use it in rallies for the year, then give it back because <laughs> they, you know, they didn't have. So so the deal was uh, here's a 185 sleeker to use and $30,000. So, and, you know, $30,000 wasn't enough to do it, but we then prepared this car at Beetle Exchange or initially it was in uh, Peter Reynolds who worked yes. for me for very many years. It was in his garage at home, so we used to just go around there at night and weekends and work on it. And I remember uh, Peter Evans from Toyota, who yeah, yes. I'm sure you've met plenty of times over the years, he came to have a look one day and we'd cut a hole in the roof for a roof vent and he was shocked that he wouldn't be able to go back to a road car. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, but <laughs> if you want it to be a rally car, it's a rally car. Neil's partnership with Toyota is the envy of many in the sport, but as Coral Taylor explained in her episode with Rusty, the secret to its longevity goes well beyond their commercial agreement. You know, a great relationship with them and and total loyalty to them for so long. But I also think that Neil's one of those guys, you know, a lot of people come into motorsport and might burn sponsors, you know, you want too much or you ask too much or you don't deliver what you say. I think Neil's always been very honest and fair um, and done so much for them in so many ways. Lots of little things around the edges that people don't see. 
Hear untold stories from Neil's co-driver Coral Taylor. You can find her episode in the garage library. Like Rusty, Coral isn't much good on a dirt bike either. Now back to the person who gave him the intel on that, Neil Bates. It's kind of a team of mates, family, probably pre-internet, so it's not like you can go, oh, this is what they're doing at TTE or this is what they're doing at... How much sort of pioneering were you doing? And are you... are you? This is a, a dual question here. You're, you're prepping car, but are you also learning at this point to knock on doors, to ultimately get to a Caltex or a Haveline or, you know, you know, like, how are you going with that learning? Oh, that, that, that comes back at that stage to Dave Jorgensen, who mm-hmm. was my co-driver, Yeah, I... I really struggled to get co-drivers initially because no one navigate for me because I was a wild a, child. A wild <laughs> child, but my crash rate was, you know, for rallying was incredibly low. Like mm. I, but you, you were know, fast. I, I you was were... incredibly fast, and people just thought I was too fast for the experience, and mm-hmm. that I was uh, an accident waiting for somewhere to happen, which never turned out to be the be. case. Mm. But Dave Jorgensen ended up navigating for me, and as I say, he was someone that he wrote to the touring car teams, told them about me, and. It, um, what was he doing here? Like typewriter stuff, you know? Hey, this is a guy. Typewriter and post them, and amazing. Yeah, yeah he yeah. You know, made up like press you know, kits, press kind of thing, kit yeah. type yeah. things, yeah. and you know, yeah, they, which was incredible. And he he actually um, left Canberra, went to the Gold Coast, and um, was going to make a big in property up there, and then we could go and do the World Rally Championship, Championship. and whatever. But that didn't turn out. Sadly. So, mm-hmm. well, sadly, for mm-hmm. you know, like for a guy, he just the world's best intentions and I mm-hmm. think he spent a bit too much time at the casino and mm-hmm. um, he mm-hmm. was going to win big there but that didn't quite work out mm-hmm. either. So, but, you know, an amazing guy that helped me so much mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he, yeah, he, you know, he was navigating for me in the 86 Alpine and, and I didn't know until afterwards they told me that uh, at some services there they were he was sitting around next to our ute sort of regrouping himself and they were talking him <laughs> into getting back in, which which I didn't realise at the time. Right. But uh, Well yeah, done for, for getting me, back it, in. Yeah, yeah, for me it just all seemed normal. So he's helping with the, the you know, marketing material, if you like, the early early press type things to, to get you noticed. Mike's giving you the car. Um they're worried about you putting a hole in the roof, but you're you're pioneering the build on these things. This is this is a couple of blokes, mates around Canberra trying to to build something that would be good enough to win the Australian Championship. Yep, yeah, 100%. That's exactly how it is. And, um, you know, back then, you know, rally cars were mostly standard, I suppose. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and we, we went to Tassie on that first round. We finished second beyond George Fury. So so we obviously did a reasonably good job. A reasonably good job. But mm-hmm. as I say, it was just a, a few mates that had gone through the Datsun 1600 journey and all yep. that. And we were, you know, Around at Pete's place, working on the car at night and weekends, and putting it together, and then then uh, headed off down to Tassie for the for the first rally, which um, yeah, which I remember being on the Spirit and throwing up, and I was <laughs> not sure whether that was I've been on the Spirit a lot of times since and not throwing up, so I'm not sure whether it was <laughs> seasick or nerves or whatever, because you know all of a sudden you're playing in the big game, you're playing mm. in the big game, mm. and yeah, it was, uh, but. Um, I'd also had my first ray foray into sponsorship was uh, Stu Wilkins oh, yeah. from Triple yeah. S Automotive mm-hmm. in Sydney. Now Stu Wilkins Rallying, and um, he was a huge 
part of my success in Dassin 1600 100%. days because yeah. he has a great business too. Mate, yeah, wasn't he it? saw yeah. some mm. potential mm. in me and sponsored me and helped me and lent me cars. He lent me a sleeker that I did the Bega ARC round in rear wheel drive sleeker, which we were we were uh, coming second out right behind David Eady in a Mazda 323 and in front of the Murray Coots and Greg Cars and, and all drive those cars. people in four wheel drive cars. And the reason I mentioned that, I remember uh, standing at the results on Saturday night. There was still Sunday to go, which were the Shire stages, and and um, uh, Greg Carr was looking at the board, and there's my times, and he said, oh, that's not possible for a two-wheel drive car. And I sort of... I suppose I was probably a little bit taken back about it, but probably a little bit proud as well. At that, the same time. Well, there they are, so. Yeah, that's the results. And, and then, um, unfortunately, uh, on the last day, and I was coming, still coming second behind David Eady and, um, and the engine expired. Sugar. This is in, an, in a, um, a, a changing phase for the sport in the sense that, that um, four-wheel drive rally cars are um, – newer to the Australian scene, if you like. You've come out of a, a rear-wheel drive background, amazing sort of Datsun 1600s, probably with twin Webbers that sounded amazing and, and so on. What was the adaption like to rallying a four-wheel drive car and what were the learnings for you in all of that? The, uh, the first time I drove a four-wheel drive car was once again a car that Shoe Wilkins loaned to me, which was a Subaru RS Turbo. And wow. that was in the 19... 19- 89 I think a Sander rally okay um and uh that the, but that by that stage VR4 glance had come out mm-hmm. and you know there was better cars than the RX turbo but I uh ran in that event uh finished fourth outright and the first I think the next RX turbo was uh Peter Clark and Peter Glennie and I think they were like seven minutes behind me or something Ooh. so so it was uh, an incredibly good result. But I still remember the first time I drove it, I came around a few corners and still had a bit of lock on and then sort of wobbled up the road because you're coming around and you put the lock on for the slide and then you know, boot it and then you, you know, the it's, it's heading towards the outside <laughs> of the corner and you think, shit, I better straighten it up. And, you, know, you, you forget that, that you know, it's going exactly where the front wheels are pointing. At what point did you become aware that Coral Taylor... Um, she was perhaps available as a co-driver or you maybe there was a change in, in direction for you. What did you first – how did you do that kind of homework and how did she come to be a part of this operation? Because she's another long-termer as a part of all this, isn't she? Yeah, uh, so I, I did the first couple of years uh, – well, I did the first year uh, with Toyota, with Dave Jorgensen navigating and then um, the second year of that Toyota didn't actually – putting anything to the rallying, but... So you were an owner-driver? I was an owner-driver in 91. What was that like? Hard, but just it's what we did. And, hmm. yeah, we did, we prepared the car at Beetle Exchange and Pete's Garage and whatever and went away to the rallies and did it. And so they'd let you still run the car or keep Correct. the car, but yeah. you were on your own Correct. running it. Yeah, okay. there was no money that year for whatever reason they were in... Um, you know, for whatever their marketing stuff was or budgets or whatever, mm. and but we still went and rallied. And, and then it was interesting because the next year we got a budget and they said, this guy has gone and done it when we haven't even helped him. So they said, 
So that commitment, the, showing that the, commitment, yep. sent a big message yep. kind of thing, yeah. Yep, for sure. So um, so I did the first year with Dave Jorgensen, the second year with a guy by the name of uh, Mike Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, who was a local... Um, co-driver. Co-driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in... The, uh, that was 1991. Then 92, I did it with Rod Horsley, so you can see a pattern new co-drivers each year. <laughs> and then uh, Murray was running with Mazda with Coral co-driving. Oh, that's right, Murray, and, Murray Coot. And yep. then um, the, the Mazda thing was coming to an end. And, and Did he, um, he half-direct her your way? Is that kind of what yeah, happened? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I probably need a new co-driver uh, and, uh, you know, and... and you know, everyone that co-drove for me was fantastic for their various reasons, but um, you know, and it wasn't until I got Coral I realised how amazing she was, and also how amazing her organisation skills and mm-hmm. how calm and you know, because Rod Horsley was a great co-driver, but he'd be sitting at the start control, <sighs> you know, like okay. really taking in the big ones, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, is there something about to happen? I'm not aware of here, or yeah. you know, like. Um, yeah, but as I say, very good co-driver, but it was an... A, an intensity about it or something, An intensity it? about it, the mm-hmm. whereas, you know, for Coral, you almost need to check for a pulse at the start <laughs> of the stage to make sure she's awake and whatever, like she's so calm and so yeah. happy in that environment. And so Murray had uh, said to me, you know, you should get Coral, and, and, and I asked her initially, she said no because she was dreaming that the Mazda team would... Somehow resurrect itself and keep mm-hmm. going, but then it became clear that wasn't, and and Coral came to navigate, and um, yeah, you know, the, as they say, the rest is history. Three. But you know, yeah. as I say, the the things there that were amazing. One, she was incredibly good mm. as a co-driver, mm. and you know, never, never, you know, makes mistakes. Just incredibly calm, mm. but also, you know, we were a group of blokes going rallying, you know trying to work out where we need to go and where we need to be and all of a sudden we've got someone that plans all that and gives us maps and yep. tells us where to be and, you know, like it just made such a difference to the whole thing mm. to to have what was previously chaos getting around to, mm. to, to organise chaos getting around. Did it, I mean, because it is this beautiful uh, almost language uh, of pace noting, co-drivers um, have this skill of being able to paint a picture for you of what is coming up on the road, you commit, you you entrust that. So if it's, you know, flat over crest, it's flat over crest and so on. Correct, yeah. Right six on crest, stay in. Into left five and a half, 50. Flat small crest, into left five and a half on crest, stay in. The system you guys use, am I right in saying it's one to six, but with halves? Is that what you've used along uh, the way? Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah so just use, explain that. Just so, Dad, if you looked at a clock face and you take, uh, you know, twelve o'clock is straight ahead. So if you take one o'clock, that's a hairpin corner because it's almost yep. back on itself. And two, three would be a ninety, a, a ninety degree mm-hmm. corner. Four, five, six, and six is. You know, a flat corner almost straight. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then you soon realise that you probably need, you know, to define that a little bit better because, you know, the difference between a five and a six becomes a little bit much. And, mm. you know, some people, 
use maybes, we use halves, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's everyone in, um, you know, pace noting, it, it really annoys me when you have certain people say, oh, you have to use this system or you have to use that system. Well, you do what's There's, for you, don't you? You do yeah. what's for you. There's mm. no system that's right. There's no system that's wrong. Like, you know, Simon Evans used to use a one to four system. A four was his hairpin and a one was flat out. And so I was all backwards and, you know, if I, I could never have driven on his notes and mm. vice versa. Mm. But we both did the job incredibly well. Mm. And, you yeah. know, so you look at the World Rally Championship, there's a whole lot of people with different systems. But essentially you call every single corner, every single crest. So, you know, if we talk, described a bit of road, it would be, you know, flat crest, 200, caution, right two narrow, into left three opens, into right five easy, mm. you know, which is another thing. I use easy as so it's an easy corner. corner. Other mm. people use easy as it take it easy. Ah, so, right. you know, so okay. it's a totally... The commentary you know, actually the, is defined differently it, depending on the driver. Correct, yeah, right, correct. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's essentially... Know what that is, and I had done pace notes before, mm-hmm. um, but probably were you good at it? <laughs> I was, you know, I had done well in those events, so you couldn't say I was bad at it. Mm-hmm. But Coral certainly helped me tidy that gotcha. side of it up and, gotcha. and make it better. And you gelled pretty quickly in yeah, that sense. We, yeah. You know, the first rally we did was um, Rally Victoria in 1993, and that was when Possum first came with a pro drive. WRX, and mm-hmm. you've got to remember our car then was still a home-built ST185. It had mm-hmm. a lock sensitive that we'd welded up. It had a, you know, close-ratio five-speed synchro gearbox, and, you know, we'd made a made a front diff for it ourselves and fitted to it. And so, um, and we were, we were leading that rally against Possum, and, and, you know, it's probably, for Coral and I, it's probably one of our best memories in the rally, you know, because... Possum had come over in the Pro Drive WRC, you know, Subaru, and everyone thought that he was going to wipe the floor. And, and, you know, we're three quarters of the way through day one and we're still winning. And I remember driving down the, because the service was actually just on a road because it was roadside service back then. Mm -hmm. And we're driving through all the service crews and they're all out there standing clapping. Fantastic. stuff when the people in the game recognise a really significant moment. That is the end of part one of my podcast with Australian Rally Champion Neil Bates. Now, the good news, when we recorded, the time seemed to sail by and I had enough audio when we wrapped up for a three-parter. They are all loaded up and ready for you to enjoy when you've got the time. There is some fantastic conversation in there on the late, great Possum born. The awesome escort beating RA40 Celica that he built and why they went for that particular chassis. Supercars drives, including some important detail on one that finished very differently to how it may have looked on TV. Plus, mentoring Molly Taylor and how he dealt with his sons when they wanted to follow in Dad's footsteps, plus the amazing team at Neil Bates Motorsport. 